BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Not only realized that the opportunity to move back to Chicago was an amazing opportunity, but the Chicago History Museum itself was an amazing opportunity to take the museum to the place where it it should be, where it wants to be. And I think I have the leadership skills and the experience to do that. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Donald Lassier, the new president and CEO of the Chicago History Museum. And I would say welcome to Chicago, Mr. Lassier, but it's really welcome home. How did this homecoming come about? Well, um, the Chicago History Museum was searching for a new president and CEO, and the executive search firm contacted me um, primarily, I believe, to uh, tap into my network. And of course, when I found out about the position, I had been thinking about coming back home to Chicago. Um, the year 2020 sort of brought home the fact that I needed to be closer to my family. I hadn't seen my mother in a year and hadn't seen some other close relatives. Like I have some uh, nephews that were born in 2019 in December and I hadn't seen them at all. And so I really thought about moving back to Chicago, being closer to my family, um, reestablishing those connections. And that was really the driving force behind my decision to, to move back. So you were contacted for your network because you uh, were at the Muhammad Ali Museum and Center in Louisville. And they wanted to know what candidates would you suggest? And you said, how about me? (laughs) That's pretty much how it went, actually. Um, After looking at the position spec, um, I I thought that I would be uh, more than capable to achieve the objectives that the Chicago History Museum had laid out in the spec. Um, I had gone through a similar experience at the Muhammad Ali Center. And again, um, when serendipity rears its head, it's like, wow, uh, the stars have aligned for me and it was time to really explore the opportunity. And as I got deeper and deeper into it, I not only realized that the opportunity to move back to Chicago was an amazing opportunity, but the Chicago History Museum itself was an amazing opportunity to take the museum to uh, the place where it, it should be, where it wants to be. And I think I have the leadership skills and the experience to do that. 
you engineered a turnaround at the Muhammad Ali Center in Louisville that changed its focus from a boxing museum to a kind of cultural magnet and then tripled annual attendance. How did you do that? Well, it was really interesting. And, and I'll hearken back to a, one of the first interviews I had with our public TV station. Um, I had an idea that the target market for the Muhammad Ali Center should be women um, ages 18 to 40, basically mothers. And when I said that, I got some very strange looks. But because of who Muhammad was, what he represented, he was an inspiration for me as a child. And he continues to be an inspiration for younger people all around the world because of what he stood for. And as you may go, no, no, and I don't want to sound um, sexist by any means, but when families are planning their outings, for the most part, it's the head of the household, i.e. the woman that in the household that is planning where the family's going to go. And so because we decided we were going to target women, we changed our branding, we changed the type of temporary exhibits we had, we really changed our messaging about the center, and it worked. Yeah, a boxing museum is not a great appeal to women. I have to say from my own experience, <laughs> now I'm a huge sports fan, I find boxing incredibly brutal and hard to watch, even though I appreciate who's good at it. I don't love it. And so how did you do that change of boxing museum to something women would want to go and bring their families to? Well, that's a great question. And actually the center, the Muhammad Ali Center, the intent wasn't for it to be a boxing museum. That was the perception that was, you know, um, permeated throughout the community. The center itself is really based on Muhammad Ali's six core principles, and it uses those six core principles to inspire people to be as great as they can be. And so we started really talking about his six core principles. And it what was important, those, by the way, I don't even know them. <laughs> spirituality, respect, confidence, dedication, giving, and which one did I miss? Conviction. And so with those six core principles, those were the guiding pillars of Muhammad's life. I'll give you one example. The giving, which really deals with um, charity. When Muhammad had his first professional boxing match, when he was a very young man, he gave the proceeds of that boxing match to Children's Cozier Children's Hospital. And so he had always had that as a core of his um, DNA, if you will. And so we started really highlighting those principles, confidence. We have a program called our Muhammad Ali Council of Students, where we really hammer home the importance of confidence, a belief, a strong belief in yourself. And that has made that program so successful where we take kids from all socioeconomic levels. And uh, for the past five years prior to COVID, 100% of those kids matriculated to a post-secondary education, educational institution. So having that confidence to achieve and believe in yourself was important. So we started talking about 
all of his core principles and may, making them undergird everything that we do in the Muhammad Ali Center. And that worked. So how do you do a rebranding or how do you do the same boosting and elevate the Chicago History Museum in the same way using lessons learned from Louisville then? Well, so one of the things that I know about the Chicago History Museum is that strategically they want to diversify their attendance. Um, in other words, make it more reflective of Chicago, Chicago's demographics. And so in order to do that, you really have got to do outreach to the community. And it's who's doing it. And what you're saying is very important. So, you know, I have to really dig in, talk to the team, find, find out what we have been doing, and then really dig in and find out what we can do from an outreach perspective to attract a more diverse attendance base without losing what we already have. That's the key. You have to make it additive and not addition by subtraction. So it's, it's really going to be doing some some really hardcore looking internally at what we've been doing, externally at what we've been doing, and then finding that sort of sweet spot where we can really get in from a messaging perspective, resonate with all facets of the Chicago community. And that's going to take a little bit of work. What is the demographic now? Who is the audience and, and, and how large is it and how do you grow it and what's the, what are the growth areas? Well, so prim yeah, yeah, I do know, I do have some data to that uh, question. So primarily the audience is 80% of uh, Caucasian, if you will, and uh, more than 80%. And it, as you know, the makeup of Chicago is almost 30, 30, 30, you know, 30 percent white, 30 percent black, 30 percent Latinx and, you know, some miscellaneous, if you will, um, cultural uh, uh, folks. And so what we want to do is make the attendance of the Chicago History Museum more reflective of Chicago demographics. So in order to do that, you're going to have to create programming that are attractive to uh, Black and Latinx people. You're going to have to have exhibits that are attractive, but also, again, like I said, don't do addition by subtraction. Make it so that it's attractive to all facets of, you know, the Chicago community. Um, you know, I do have some ideas. I don't want to bring them public yet without talking to the board and talking to internal staff. But oh, I think come I have on, some... give us a tease. Give us a tease. <laughs> well, let me just give you You're one example. Let me let me just give you one example. You know, I went to uh, Percy L. Julian High School on the South Side of Chicago, and it wasn't until years later that I learned about Percy L. Julian that he was this fantastic entrepreneur, African-American. He was an extremely brilliant scientist. So what if we talked about from a, a exhibit perspective, why certain high schools are named after certain people from a historical perspective? That's an idea that would resonate with the entire community and would be interesting to the entire community. That's just one idea. It's, it's pie in the sky. But who knows? It may happen. 
That's that's a great idea. And, you know, with the pandemic making you think long and hard about returning to Chicago and one of your goals being more direct involvement in social justice issues, mm -hmm. uh, could you do more on that front? I mean, with the racial reckoning that has swept the country after the death of George Floyd, what more could the History Museum be doing to contribute to a better understanding of racial issues and the ugly history of segregation that continues to this day in Chicago? Another very, very good question. And I think it's just being intentional in talking about this. Um, one of the things that I helped do, and I was primary driver of this, was at the Muhammad Ali Center, we have an exhibit that we wrote internally and curated internally called um, Truth Be Told, the policies that have impacted black people in this country for 400 years. That's the title of the exhibit. And what we did was we talked about the policies at the local, state, and federal level that have caused systemic racism in this country. So the Chicago History Museum can talk about and exhibit certain things that have impacted people of color in this country and that has caused this, this great racial divide and educate people about these policies, educate people about systemic racism that has existed in this country. And you can do that in a way in which it's educational not that it, you know, points a finger at one person or one population, but it really does talk about why there needs to be systemic changes and what those changes need to be in this country to bring about a racial healing, to bring about a dialogue. Because as you know, Fran, one of the most difficult things to talk about is race because people become so sensitive. Well, let's not, let's sort of, move away from that sensitivity and talk about it in a constructive way. And I think the Chicago History Museum is very well positioned to do that. Now, what about something like uh, the history of police torture? I mean, in this city, we have the John Burge torture era. We have mm -hmm. the 1990 race riots in Chicago. We have little Quan McDonald shooting, uh, police shooting. What, I mean, could you have exhibits that address those things and lead to a better understanding because of that? Well, that is that is a possibility. And again, I would love to talk to our team and, and our board about that because one of the things you again want to do is not say all police are bad because that's not true. You know, I have police in my family and they're very good people and I know other police uh, and sheriffs that are very good people. But what people don't understand is the history of policing in this country. A lot of them, you know, when you look at the history, a lot of the early police forces were modeled after slave, slave patrols. So if you talk about that history and the fact that in some cases it's not broken, it's, it's, it was designed to do exactly what it's doing. You have to have that discussion, but you have to bring into that discussion the police itself so that they get an understanding of why that dynamic exists, why the Blue Shield exists. 
and then have that dialogue with them so that they're included in the solution and not viewed as only the issue or the problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, but do you envision an exhibit that is specifically talks about Chicago's ugly history in the, in that police uh, abuse arena? I think that is a possibility. Again, you know, I would want to run that by the staff, you know, being the new kid on the block, so to speak. I don't want to, you know, just say we're going to do this again. You want to get buy in and you want to do it in a manner that's constructive. And so I do see that that could be a great possibility. I think that it's something that's necessary and should be done. But again, I want to make sure we do it at the right time in the right way. There is talk in the city council and nationally about reparations. Could the History Museum be fostering that discussion or playing a role in it? (laughs) I think the History Museum could be a facilitator of that discussion. Um, I don't think it should certainly not be involved in the quote-unquote politics of that discussion because as as a 501c3 organization we don't want to sort of be a political organization we do want to facilitate discussions because we can bring that history to fore and we can to the forefront and so we can just say listen Let's be a place where we can convene a dialogue about how these, you know, the issue of reparations should be discussed. Um, Again, I don't want to put us in the middle of politics because that's not our place for sure. What about the ongoing review of Chicago statues? One of them are up for review right now. We had an incident last summer where people were... uh, were uh, going after the Columbus statues and and there were confrontations and Mayor Lightfoot uh, removed them in the in the middle of the night to she mm-hmm. says to protect them temporarily. Now there's this review of 41 statues that include presidents like Lincoln and Washington and Ulysses Grant. And the History Museum role in that because a lot of people really don't understand why a president like Lincoln, who ended slavery, is now has four or five of the statues that we have for him here up for review and possible removal or replacement. Well, here again, it's it's the issue of making people understand what the issues are. That's the role that Chicago History Museum can take. Again, when people don't understand the dynamics of history, the fact that, uh, as I will now say an infamous politician said, history is written by the, the winners. Well, one of the things that we talked about in my interviewing process is the history museum should be a teller of truth. And so that's unbiased truth. And once that's out there, then you can create a constructive discourse about why it may be necessary for some of these statues to be removed from a historical perspective, what they represent. And so once you get that out there, here again, our responsibility should be telling the truth, the unbiased truth about these statues, and then let the politics take them where they may. Does that make sense? Because 
that's where we can play a significant role. So where would you jump into this debate as we decide which ones to keep and which not? Um, where would we jump? Again, we will jump into telling the history of the statues, being a place where people can come and have a respectful dialogue about the history of these statues. Again, we're not going to play politics. I'm going to make that very, very clear. That's not our role. Our role really is to make sure that people understand the importance of why these things are even being discussed, what the history is, why the, it's offensive to some people. Um, and again, creating that environment where people can talk about these significantly divisive issues. How do you make a trip to the History Museum appealing to these young kids lured by video games, addicted to social media, <laughs> they can access on their cell phones. Everything is so fast paced for them. How do you convince them that a trip to this museum, which is pretty staid by comparison, is exciting enough or make it more exciting? You make it more exciting. You hit the nail on the head. You can do, wow. well, again, through exhibits. It's the type of exhibits that you uh, curate in the museum. Um, again, I, I'll hearken back to the some of the exhibits that we curated, curated at the Muhammad Ali Center. Our Truth Be Told exhibit, it's an exhibit that really is educational. And I can just tell you a story about a young man. Um, one portion of the exhibit talks about um, how education has been done in this country uh, for public ed education specifically. And it talks about the zero tolerance policy. And this man was in his 20s, very young man. He read about the zero tolerance policy and he said, oh my goodness, this explains my experience. And it was cathartic for him. So you can do things that are exciting, educational through the type of exhibits that you present at the Chicago History Museum. And then it's an issue of getting the word out, marketing those exhibits, messaging those exhibits so people are excited about coming to the museum and reading and seeing um, what's happening. You can also do a lot of interactive exhibits once COVID, COVID is over and people can touch and feel things. You know, um, we had an exhibit called Global Shoes where kids could come in and try on different shoes from different cultures, different communities, different countries. And that was exciting them to them because it, it taught them about other cultures. And the touching and the feeling of these artifacts is very important. You can't do that through a video screen, you know? Right. And, so, and, and I think the kids have maybe after remote learning for a year had it with some of this stuff they want to do something in person what could the history museum be doing in person that would be fun and interactive and exciting and bring it alive for these kids who are so used to everything being so fast and exciting and that's again a very good question and again it's it's important that we do things that are interactive i have two young kids i can tell you they're very tired of looking at computer screens um, for educational purposes so again it's good getting artifacts it's getting things that they can touch that they can interact with 
that they can, you know, play with, so to speak. And I think that's a very important aspect of what the Chicago History Museum can bring to these young people um, and their parents as well. You know, you can create exhibits that not only educate the kids, but educate the parents and get them, you know, around the dinner table talking. Because I know one of the hardest things I I do right now is trying to get my kids interested in the things that I have to say. You have a a 15-year-old that, you know, oftentimes when I'm talking to her, it's like, what the heck are you saying, Dad? Well, if we're experiencing things together, that gives us the opportunity to have a very good conversation. You know, I mean, there have been TV, educational TV shows, historical TV shows that we've watched together. And the discourse that we were able to have that was generated by those was amazing. You know, it made me feel important to my 15 year old, which is hard to do. And so it's things like that that the History Museum can do. We could actually bring families together. So give me an idea of an exhibit that could be an interactive thing that you could bring to the History Museum about Chicago history to bring it alive for these kids. Again, I haven't talked about this to the team, but let's talk about music, for example. Let's say we had an exhibit that talked about some of the music that is that originated in Chicago or is a derivative of some of the things that Chicago has done around music. Take, for example, one of the most popular um, uh, music genres in the world, house music. That originated in Chicago. A lot of people don't know that. If we had a, a, an exhibit that dealt with that particular genre of music that has that has gone through different generations, it's been around for years. Believe it or not, I listened to house music when I was a teenager. Teenagers are still listening to it. Did they know that it originated in Chicago? No. Most part, for the most part, no. So we may be able to have an exhibit around that and as well as other uh, genres of music. So it's things like that, creative things like that, that can really be attractive to multi-generations of Chicagoans. And could that be interactive? Could a kid try it themselves or uh, sing along or something like that? Absolutely kids and parents. So that's just another idea that's been- And make a recording maybe and come away with it or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You can take my idea, you don't have to credit me, it's okay. (laughs) Oh, I can do that. (laughs) And you know what, the other thing I wondered about is, you know, you go to New Orleans, it's the home of, of jazz and blues and all these wonderful music clubs, but in Chicago, We're not as known for that, even though we are the home of that. So what can you do on those fronts? Well, well, here again, it's it's putting together an exhibit that talks about that, that really brings that to light. There's so many things about Chicago that we can do that would just be amazing. You know, one one of the things that a lot of people have to understand is Chicago is history is world history because we have so many different ethnic groups that have migrated to Chicago. Well, let's talk about the reasons for that. You know, why do you have a large Latinx community? Why do you have a large, 
you know, African-American community? Why do you have a large Polish community, Greek community? Talk about those migratory patterns. Why did that happen? That would be so interesting to so many people. And so it's things like that that we can do. Not only around, you know, just music, which was a brilliant idea, Fran, but also around why we have these significant migratory patterns and why people ended up in Chicago. And what about food? Chicago is now known as the culinary capital of the world, one of the best restaurant towns like ever. I mean, is there more we can do there? Uh, yes, could that absolutely. Be interactive? Absolutely. I'm smiling because um, my a teenager had a conversation with one of her uncles who, who lives in Chicago. And that's what he was talking about. He's like, when you come here, you're going to be fat because we have the best food. And he started mentioning, you know, Italian beef and uh, barbecue and hot dogs and pola sausage and my daughter was like, man, my mouth is watering. I didn't know all this. So, yes, again, another great idea that we could talk about, you know, the culinary. Could it, uh, could it be interactive? Could they do cooking there to make some of the stuff that Chicago is known for? Now, honestly, I don't know if the museum is set up for that, but I know we're going to have an outdoor history trail and we're going to be doing a lot of things outdoors. So there's a possibility that we can perhaps have, you know, uh, uh, curate a food festival in one of the, the uh, outdoor venues that we have. That's a possibility. The possibilities are endless. You know, it's just figuring out what they what they are and, you know, being creative. And because there's so many possibilities, I'm just going to use one of the things that I've learned, you know, is creativity is the, pos is the process of eliminating options. We have so many options. So let's eliminate some and bring some of the good ones out. And so that's what, you know, I think we're going to be doing. Have you brought your teenagers to, or your teenager, I don't know, have two, uh, to the museum and what did they think of it? Were they bored to death? <laughs> no, I haven't brought her yet. Um, she happens to like museums. And again, you know, I, I think that you, museums can, can be and should be exciting, right? They shouldn't be boring. And I don't think moving forward, and I don't think the Chicago History Museum is boring, quite frankly, from what I've seen. I think it has a lot of possibilities to be more exciting than it is, but boring is not a word I would use ever to describe a museum. But let's just say this. In the mm -hmm. lexicon of Chicago museums, the Art Institute, the Shed, the Museum of Science and Industry, the Adler Planetarium, the Field, Yours mm -hmm. is down the pole, and you want to move up, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Am I, right? am, am I right. wrong about that positioning, and, and, and how do you move up on the pole? Well, you move up on the pole by creating messaging around what you're doing that will resonate with the community at large. You also partner in the community with organizations that are doing things um, around social justice, that are doing things that are important in the community, and you be a good partner. The, this is what I think a lot of folks don't understand, that you don't put yourself on an island. You make sure that you're doing a lot of community outreach, that you do a lot of 
critical partnerships that will get your message out. Not only that, you go to where people are, right? You go and you give presentations, you give talks around Chicago history. You give talks about why it's important to folks that they understand what the history is. And then it becomes, quite frankly, a marketing game. You make sure that you market yourself. Um, you find what your target market is. And it's not going to always be Chicago. It's going to be segments of Chicago. And you be smart about that. And I think, you know, I have the experience to have done that at the Muhammad Ali Center. I'm going to bring that experience at the Chicago History Museum. And we're going to go up that pole. I can guarantee you that. Do you aspire to be number one? I always aspire to be number one in everything that I do, Fran, quite frankly. And that's our goal. You grew up in Chicago. You're a Julian grad, as you said. What are your mm -hmm. memories of growing up in Chicago and what history do you remember from that period? So my memories are mixed. You know, Chicago was is a great place. But growing up, when I was growing up, the city was very segregated. You know, I have some good memories. I have some bad memories. Um, but the one thing I could say about growing up in Chicago is it gave me the fortitude. It gave me the confidence to go anywhere where in the world and be comfortable. Um, I have lived in, I'd say, 50% of the major cities in this country. I've lived overseas. And the one thing that Chicago gave me the, the ability to do was survive and be comfortable in my surroundings anywhere I went. I think there's a certain grit that people have when they grow up here in Chicago, that is. And I think that I want my kids, for example, to have that experience of growing up in a place where you have to be a strong-minded person to, you know, um, be successful. And I think that's one thing about Chicago that a lot of people don't know, that you have to just be tough-minded. And I think that's important. And I think, again, that could be brought out in the Chicago History Museum, why that's important. You know, the history of Chicago is one of, you know, folks um, surviving, people overcoming adversity. And that's important that you talk about. And that's part of our history here in Chicago, in Chicago. Before I let you go, you, in your private sector life, worked at Enron through the good times and the downfall <laughs> time. What did Absolutely. you learn from that? So, you know, what I learned from that is that when money is your end goal, that's not a prescription for success, right? Enron was driven by greed, and that's not a prescription for success. I learned that what's more important is to be philanthropic, to be a humanitarian, to want to help your brother, to want to help your neighbor. And I think that was the experience that I took away from Enron. And that's why I left Enron. And when I did leave Enron, I went into nonprofits. And that really became, you know, my passion, helping people be successful. Whereas Enron was all about you. Now I'm all about the other person. And I think that's what I took away from my experience at Enron. 
Donald Lucier, you have big shoes to fill. Gary Johnson is leaving after 15 years. You have big ideas, and I wish you the very best of luck. And I, I look forward to coming back to the History Museum when you've done your makeover. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And welcome home. Thank you.